We are, are going through a series right now, and the series is uh, titled Growing in Faith, and we're looking at the things that God uses to grow us in our faith. And so we're really starting with this idea. Imagine with me, imagine with me if you had perfect faith in God, if you were absolutely confident that God was with you, how would that change your life? How would that change the way that you looked at different circumstances? What would that confidence do? How would it help you to see the things that God is doing, that those difficulties, those things that come your way, that, that stuff that you're looking at and you're going, you know what, I'd rather not. What if you could see some of those things and the good, the bad as, as part of God's plan and that hopefully one day, hopefully one day you'll see how it all fits together. What if you had perfect faith in God? What, what if you could really lean into that? And so I want to start this morning with, with telling you a little bit about uh, something that happened about four years ago, four or five years ago at the lake. So our family went to the lake and, and we were out on the water with some friends and, and going uh, through and we decided, hey, we want to swim and let's go to a cove that has some cliffs that we can jump off of. Anyone uh, enjoy doing that when you go to the lake? I, I mean, it's pretty dangerous to go to Medina, Medina right now and do that, um, but this lake had water, unlike the ones around here. Um, but so we go, and we go, and we scope out this place. And, and from, the, from the water, it, looking up, it really doesn't seem that high, right? You, have you been there? And, then, and then, then you get, and you look, and you go over to the edge, and you look down, and somehow that thing had grown by the time that you got from the bottom up to the, the top because it was a whole lot further down than it was up. And so we go, it's, it's me, uh, our friend, and Logan, we go, we get out, we swim across, we get out, get on the shore and walk up this trail that has all these, you know, uh, just rocks, jagged rocks and thorns and all those things. And we get to the very top and then we look at each other after we look over the edge and we go, okay, someone has to go first. And I thought, okay, here's what's going to happen. I don't want to be the last one up here. So I decided, okay, well, I'll go first. So I took my flip-flops off, put them in my hands, and I just jumped out in the water, heeding the advice from Melanie that said, jump far, right? And so I did. I splashed into the water, came back up because I had a life jacket on. Otherwise, it'd be a little iffy. And there I am watching, our friend goes next, and, and then finally it's Logan, our oldest, he's, he's at the top by himself, thinking and looking. And we all know that's a bad deal, right? When you're on the edge of a cliff, thinking and looking, I mean, it's all subjective, I'm sure. But he had so many things that he was trying to consider, and he was looking and kind of backing up. And I said, hey, so you don't have to worry about it. Toss your flip-flops down to me. I'll hold on to them. Without thinking, he throws them and then realizes what had just happened. There was no other way down except through the pain of the jagged rocks and the thorns all the way back down to the water's edge. And so he, he is determined, he understands, hey, listen, there's only one thing I can do now. He has to jump, he has to jump off that ledge. So that leads me to a question, what happens 
What happens when we decide to trust? When we decide to trust, God uses that trust to grow our faith. And here we are in part four or five. The first week we looked at practical teaching, that, that we need to be involved in a church, in a Bible study, in these areas of life that open up the scripture. And as you read the scripture, not only does it nourish your, your soul in that way, you look at it and you learn how to practically apply the scripture in your life. The next week, we looked at private disciplines, and we picked on two private disciplines, giving God the very first minutes of your day and the first few dollars that you make, learning to give God your time and your money to honor God in that way. We talked about giving God the very first parts of your day, the very first minutes of your day, and to learn to be a percentage giver. Then we looked last week at at those relationships, those providential relationships, those, those ones that you say, you know what, God was in this because it's through that relationship that I came to faith in Jesus, or it's through this relationship in a very difficult time that I was pointed back to God instead of walking away from God, or somebody that poured into me, that allowed me to grow, that encouraged me to grow and to become the person that I am today. So today, we're going to look at Purposeful ministry, purposeful ministry. And I'm just going to jump in. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14. We're going to just kind of camp out there. So Matthew chapter 14, and this is uh, Jesus. Now, Jesus, when he heard this, and we'll talk about what he had heard. Jesus, when he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Jesus decided, I need some alone time. So he got in a boat by himself and went to a desolate place because Jesus had just heard the news that John the Baptist, his cousin, had just been put to death by Herod. He'd been put to, to death by Herod because John kept preaching against Herod's marriage. Why would he preach against his marriage? Well, because Herod had married his own sister. And this was an illegal marriage, and John made sure that it was a sermon illustration as much as possible. So Herod and his, sis, um, uh, his wife got tired of hearing John talk about this relationship, so they had John arrested. And after a little bit of a, a celebration and a, a lot of drinking and a risque dance from Herod's daughter... John was beheaded. And Jesus, in hearing this, he was mourning. But when the crowds heard that Jesus was in a boat going across the lake, they followed him on foot along the shoreline from town to town. They hear that Jesus is headed out by himself, and so they walk along the banks, keeping him in sight as they try to figure out where he's going to land. They didn't have a concern that he wanted some time to be alone in order to mourn. They were more concerned about what they had in need. They were most concerned about their need. In fact, they were thinking, we need and we want. We need this. We want this. We, we need you to come and to do these things for us. We want you to do this for us. They were in need and of want. And when Jesus got ashore, 
he saw a great crowd because they, they were waiting for him. And so Jesus yelled at him and told him to go away and never come back again. No, he said he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples, it was evening, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. This is, there's no... um, There's no Taco Bell. There's no Pizza Hut. There's nothing here, okay? Send the crowds away so they can go get food, and they can go buy that food for themselves. The crowds had just walked a half a day along the shore watching Jesus, trying to figure out where he was going to land, and they did not want to leave. They were there. It's getting late, and they're hungry. The disciples are tired, and they are hungry. They are not hungry. They are hungry. And at this point, I assume that they really aren't that worried about the people in the crowd. They're not worried about those people. They're likely trying to figure out how can we get some rest and get some food because we're hungry and we need some downtime. There's a lot of people here. And it's late. It is late. We are in the middle of this desolate place. You know, Uber Eats doesn't even deliver out here. And that was the point. Jesus had determined to go to a desolate place, a place with nothing around it because Jesus needed some time alone. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And this is where the story begins to come into our experience. This is where we understand that there's a tension. There's this tension that happens in this that will, and it comes and and it feels so big. And everyone eventually or possibly continually, this tension you will face as a Christian because you realize that someone has a need that needs to be met and you feel like there's a ministry there. There's something that can be done for this need. There's something that can be done to help in this way. And there's something in your heart that says, this needs to be done. And your heart goes out to this group. And you say, there's something certainly that can be done. You see an opportunity. And you feel, you feel a need to do something. And as you sense this need, you feel a nudge. You feel this nudge like God is telling you to meet it. (laughs) And your reaction, it might be like mine is sometimes. No, 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 no. Yes, that's a need. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that is a need, but I don't meet those needs. I pray for the people who meet those needs. So let me pray right now. God, please send someone else to help them. God, please send someone else. And you hear that there are needs. You hear there are needs here even in this church. Needs for people to to engage in kids' ministry, to engage in the lives of children, to 
to volunteer to teach them about God's word and how they can grow to be people that love Jesus for all of their lives. You hear about needs that we have in student ministry to engage in the lives of teenagers, to give them people that know that they are in their corner. We need help with food distributions every single month. And so we say, God, I pray that you send the right people. God, I pray that you make someone else think that they need to go do this. But God is saying, I want you. I want you to do it. To which we push back and say, no, no, no. I could see how you got confused here. Um, I am a prayer warrior. I'm a prayer That's my deal. I pray. I'm a prayer warrior, and I'm praying for those people. I'm praying for them to do it. But here's the deal. You know that tension. When you think about the younger generations, when you think about other situations that you see in the community, you're very, very aware of the things that you don't know. You're very aware when you look at the needs that you are ill-equipped. You are very aware of how much you do not know. You know how ill-equipped you feel to to handle, handle it when a teenager would ask you a hard question. You say, listen, am I supposed to work with other people's kids? I don't even really like my kids. But there's going to be a time, and that time will come as a Christian, when you, when you're going to have this overwhelming feeling that you cannot get away from. And oh, you have tried, you have tried to push away. And here's the deal, it's not guilt. It's not this feeling of guilt, and it's definitely not that taco with extra jalapenos that you had last night that didn't hit right. It's God saying, I want you. I want you to be involved. I want you to meet that need. I want you to do it. So as the disciples are there with Jesus, they do exactly what we do. They said, Jesus, let us give you the rundown here. Um, We only have five loaves and two fish. They started making a a great deal of excuses. We only have five loaves and two fish. And, and, I mean, really, here they are. We think of them standing directly in front of Jesus. And I think there's a part of us, when we read this story, we go, how silly are these guys? I mean, If I were with Jesus, I'd say, look, we got five loaves and two fish. Let's do this. No. They're standing in front of Jesus, knowing all they know about him. They've been walking with him for so long now. But still, standing in front. And so he asked them, he asked them, what do you have? have Five loaves, two fish. And they say, listen, we weren't prepared for this. We don't have enough money for this. We're not equipped for this. Jesus, you've got the wrong people. And Jesus says, bring them to me. 
And we are so glad that he said that. We should be so glad that we know that Jesus said, bring them to me. And they were so glad to hear him say this because here they are standing in front of Jesus. This is all we got. This is all we have. And Jesus says, just bring me what you have. And you say, I am not qualified. I, 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 I can't do the things that I know need to be done. Listen, I, I didn't finish my schoolwork. I, I didn't finish college. I haven't, I haven't read the whole Bible. And Jesus says, just bring me, just bring me what you have. Listen, I, I, I don't have extra time. My days are so full, I don't have anything more. And Jesus says, bring me what you have. I don't know the Bible that well. Bring me what you have. I don't have all the answers. Bring me the answers you have. Bring what you have to Jesus. So Jesus, seeing the guys here, they're here, we got, we got five loaves, two fish, and they're going, surely he's going to send them away now. But he ordered motion for the crowds to sit down on the grass, and they're going, mm-mm. And in taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing, and he broke the loaves and gave the pieces to the disciples, one by one, out to 12. He broke the fish and portioned out, and he gave it to them. And can you imagine Jesus looking out to the crowd, the disciples looking back at him going, what are you doing? There are like a lot of people here. There's so many here, and you are just giving me enough for a small meal. He takes it and he passes it out to them. And they basically have in their hands enough food for themselves to eat. And it's in their hands. It fits in their hands. And they're hoping by now the crowd got the message and they had gotten up to leave to go find their own food. But they turn around hoping, have they left yet? And they turn and they go, oh, okay. So Jesus gives them back what they handed him. And so do you know what they did? Once it was back in their hands, they did what they knew how to do. Because it's all they could do. They did exactly what they knew to do. They knew how to serve. They knew how to hand some things out. They knew how to give a portion to someone. So that's what they did. So the disciples gave the fish and the bread to the crowd. And they did what they knew how to do, and then they trusted that Jesus would do something big because they went with the first person. They said, don't take too much. They go to the next one. They say, well, they took too much. <laughs> and by they get to maybe the second or the third person, they feel like they're going to be out. But as they continue to go, they see that Jesus was doing something unusual. 
Jesus was doing something that only Jesus could do. And as they go one by one through the crowd by what seems like hours, Jesus had, in fact, done something big. So when you feel that nudge, when you feel that nudge to sign up to volunteer, that nudge to sign up to go on a mission trip, that nudge to call that person to check on them, when you feel that urge to organize an event, to go and ask someone about serving someone about their relationship with Jesus, when, when you have that urge, that nudge to step outside of your comfort zone. See, we all have excuses. We say things like, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not ready. There's so many other people that are qualified, which is probably true, right? But I'm not ready. <laughs> Besides, I can't make that kind of commitment. So what's your responsibility when you feel, when you feel that nudge? Your responsibility is to do what only you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. And it's really just that simple. Every single time. Every single time. Do what only you can do so God will do what only he can do. And that tension that you feel, that angst, that, that stuff kind of welling up inside of you, the, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm so unsure. I'm not prepared to do what I'm being asked to do. The pushback that we give, that tension, that tension is your faith. It's your confidence in God. It's that faith muscle being stretched. It's being pulled. It's getting a workout. God is exercising and growing your faith. That tension is not fear. It's not just fear. It's, it's not insecurity. That tension that you feel when you know that there's something that you're supposed to do, but you don't want to do because you might not be able to, that tension, that tension is so much bigger. It's your faith and the future size and strength of your faith that are at stake. It's God working in you and working that faith muscle, growing your faith and your confidence in him, your reliance on him, because God cares about your faith. The needs that go unmet is not really the issue here. The real issue is that God wants to do something in you and something in your faith. Because the size and the capacity of your faith 
That's what's at stake. This impacts your intimacy with God. The size and the, the going forward, even when you're not certain, it, it affects your intimacy with your heavenly Father. In fact, that's what's always at stake. And that's why it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to say, I will do and trust in you. I, I will do and, and trust in you. And if you take a look and, and discover the backstory at, at any significant thing that God has done in history, the amazing things that God has done in history, you're going to see this principle, I will do and trust in you. You will see this principle every single time. You're going to find when you hear the story, you're going to find someone that says, God, I can't, but God, you can I will do and I'll trust in you, God. I can't do this. You'll also find these people that are going to give God the credit for whatever happens. Surely when you, we get involved in those big God-sized things, there are going to be people that give us applause and some give us recognition. But, but when the person, when they tell the story, they say, I, I, I just felt I just felt like I needed to be involved. I, I, I felt that, that, that something needed to be done about this need. I, I saw and there's this, this great need. Someone needed to do something. I needed to become part of that organization. And it wasn't guilt. It wasn't a guilt thing. And it was just that God would not leave me Alone, every time I turned around, it was just there. Every time I, I turned and looked, I just saw it. And every time I prayed, every time I prayed, it came to mind. So I just said, okay. I don't know how it's going to work. But I just said, okay, I trust you, God. But you're going to have to do the rest. I want you to know that that is the story of every major move of God in the world. That is the story of every major move of God in the world since the beginning of time. And through those times, our faith muscle, it gets a workout. And we come out on the other end saying, look at what God did. Look at what God did. And, and I would have missed out. I would have missed out if I had not said yes. I'd have missed out if I'd have shrunk back. I just missed. I'd have missed seeing what God has done. So the story continues. They hand out all the bread and the fish, and they all ate. And they were satisfied. And they took up. 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. The disciples, they didn't walk away from this experience thinking that they had a new side hustle now, okay? Dude, it's going to be like the best food truck extravaganza every single time we get to a new place. Because they knew something. They had absolutely nothing to do with it. 
God got the glory for all of the results. God showed up and did what only God can do. And this wasn't Jesus trying to just think of some sort of miracle to wow the crowds. He's not just showing off with this kind of, of, of show of power with the crowd because Jesus had an agenda. And Jesus' agenda had nothing to do with the crowds. His agenda had to do with his 12. He knew that he was going to be handing this whole thing off to this group of people. In their faith, it needed some strengthening. Because if their faith in God was not strong, they were going to crumble in the heart. This was to teach the disciples to trust him. To teach them to trust him more. And this is what we'll call lesson one. And as soon as lesson one is over, he sends them straight into lesson two. The Bible says immediately, and I feel like that's important because these two stories are connected. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. He said, listen, you guys go now. You get in the boat and you go. While Jesus dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Do you remember the importance of the private disciplines? Jesus models it here. He went by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. The disciples are in the boat. They're already halfway across the lake by now because they left as soon as the sun had gone down. And the boat by this time was a long way from the shore and it was being beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. So this is lesson two. These guys, they're rowing across the lake. These are fishermen. They're doing the things that they know to do. This is, this is, this is easy, right? They get in the boat, they sail it. They row when the, when the wind isn't going the right direction. They do those things. They're halfway out. They're in the dark, and they're rowing against the wind. It's good exercise, but they're basically in a stationary rowing machine. They're making absolutely no progress. And this is something that they're really good at, too. They're, but they're making no progress. They've been trained. They've done this so many times before, but they've been rowing all night long. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on, their, on the sea, they were terrified, as I would be. Maybe they wetteth themselves. Who knows? <laughs> and they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. And as a side note, it's another layer that gives this, the scripture so much credibility. 
the guys that wrote this, the guys that, that spent the time understanding and writing down this account, they didn't try to cover up. They, they, they look pretty bad, right? Because I feel like this, when you're making up a story, you get to make yourself the hero, right? So if I were writing the story and we we're going along and Jesus walking out on the, on the sea and we look up and they saw it was him, and they cheerfully rode to him with a hearty sea chanty, right? And no, <laughs> James, John, Matthew, they are scared. And they're thinking they're about to be haunted. But immediately, Jesus, he spoke to them saying, take heart. Don't fear, right? Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And in that moment, I think Peter had an insight. He had that, oh, I see, kind of a moment. He gave us some crumbs of bread and some slimy little fish. And he said, feed all these people. It was a miracle. And now we're in this boat. And he knew we couldn't do this. This didn't surprise him. He, he, he knew this was going to happen the whole time. This is another lesson. There's something to this. I think, I think Jesus is trying to teach us to, to trust him. So Peter, he sets out to test his theory. So Peter answered him. He said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And I think it's very important for us to understand at this point what Peter understood. He wasn't just going to decidedly jump out in the boat and trust that Jesus was going to take care of it because a good number of things have been launched that way, right? Launched under the banner of, I'm just going to go do something and ask God to bless it. I'm just going to go ahead and go and say, God, would you catch up? God, you know, listen, I'm going to go do this. Bail me out if it gets hard. God, I'm going to go do this. Bail me out if my strength is too, too short. But Peter understood the lesson that Jesus had been teaching them. When the Savior asks you, to do something that you are incapable of doing. When he, when he invites you out of your comfort zone, when he invites me to do things that don't make any sense, and I'll probably embarrass myself. When he calls me to do something that is way bigger than my capacity, I simply do what I know to do. So he does what only he can do. So Peter says, Jesus, invite me. Jesus, please invite me out to you. The guys are like, Peter, if you want to go for a swim, just go for a swim. Jump on in. We're not going to stop you. But Peter says, no, I, I get it. I get it. He has to ask me first. Because if he asks me first, then I do what I know to do, 
He'll do what he can do. So Peter says, come on, invite me, Jesus. Invite me out to you. Invite me out of this boat. Peter had such a depth of understanding. So Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water and came to Jesus. Peter did just as he did when Jesus passed the fish and the bread. Peter said, listen, I don't know how to walk on water. But I do know how to step out of a boat. And I know how to walk. That's the extent of my ability. I know how to get out. And I know how to walk. My limitations, they're clear. And Jesus, Jesus invited me to come. So I'm going to go see if Jesus will do what only Jesus can do. This is the Christian experience to a large degree. If you want this type of experience, if you want to live a life like Peter lived, if you want to do the things that Peter did, you need to start praying this type of prayer. Jesus, invite me out of my comfort zone. Jesus, invite me out of my comfort zone. Here I am. Send me. God, would you invite me out and use me in the lives of people? God, would you invite me out because I don't want to serve only my ideas? God, invite me out. Then I will do what I know how to do. I will use the skills that you've given me. I will use the experience you've given me. I will use the passion that you placed inside my heart. God, invite me out though. me step in obedience because God I can't wait I can't wait to see what you are going to do and I think for some of us in here right now we are struggling in that we know that God is telling us to do something and we're straining against it for some it means that we're going to be starting a new organization. For some, it means committing to a different job. For some, it means volunteering, even though you've tried to give all the excuses you could. Volunteering with children, volunteering with students. For some of you, it's, it's, it's you just can't get that, that whole teenage experience out of your mind. You think about your, your own life. And then you think about the, the high school students and, and only, only if they had someone that invested in them, that showed them that faith is worth living even all these years later. Jesus is saying, come on, come on. You know how to fill out a form. You know how to, to walk down a hall, how to, to, how to say hello. You even know how to read. And I'm inviting you, Jesus said, I'm inviting you to come and see what I will do through you. But when Peter saw the wind, 
How do you see the wind? Well, when you're on water and there's wind, it's wet, right? He saw the wind and he was afraid because Peter was at that moment reminded, dude, you can't do this. He was reminded of what he couldn't do. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And there it is, that word, that, that, that little word, faith. This encounter is all about faith. It's not, hey, I got an idea for another miracle for you to do, Jesus. It wasn't Peter going, hey, listen, I got a crazy idea. Let's see how this works. This wasn't about an, a, anything but an agenda, an agenda that Jesus had for his men. Jesus is teaching them about faith. Jesus is teaching them to trust him for what they can't do. And so we ask, why? Why is our faith so small? Peter, why is your faith so small? Why did the waves come and start to swallow you. Jesus said, when you trusted in your ability, you forgot to trust me. When we trust in our own ability, we neglect to trust God. And in not trusting me, God says, you doubted me. In not trusting me, you doubted what I could do. But I don't think in this moment for Peter there was any chastising from Jesus. Because remember, there were 11 other guys in the boat. And I think Jesus grabbed Peter up in a big old bear hug and said, listen, you almost had it. You were almost there. You asked the right question. You understood it. You were so close, so close. And I think the way that this account ends is so, so good. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. We kind of kind of suspected this before. You know, with that whole bread and fish thing. But we want to tell you, we are all in. We are all in. And the fact that you are sitting here today is the result of those who over 70 years ago stepped out of the boat. And they said, we want to have a church of this kind here in this community. So I have a question for you. Where is God nudging you? 
What is God urging you to do? (laughs) And you're going to give your best excuse. And in this moment, your best excuses, all I have are some pieces of bread. And God wants to do something in you. God wants to do something in your faith. God wants to do something in your intimate relationship with him. So would you be willing to do what you know how to do and trust that God will do what only he can do? Would you be willing to trust to do the things that you know how to do in serving Would you serve? Would you take that that first step? Would you get out of the boat? Would you step out and learn to experience God in a new way? Because you'll never know what God will do through you. But if you do, some people will be very glad that you did you'll say, I will do and trust in you. Would you trust the God who knows your name? Would you trust your heavenly Father? Would you throw your flip-flops down and jump in the water? Let's pray. 